System Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Buried Pleasures are those of the host and the guests and do not represent any views. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Likely, be profanity and discussions on topics that may be. There's roots where I stand. Oh, I've been running from the law. Hope they won't shoot me down soon. Welcome, welcome to yet another episode of Buried Pleasures. Hi, I'm your host, Pollyanna Amazing, and I just want to start out by saying I'm super excited about this episode for so many reasons. And just if you're looking for me, you can find me at buriedpleasures.com, Buried Pleasures on Twitter. I am Pleasure Pathways on Instagram and Facebook. So please find me. Uh, download this podcast because this is going to be an awesome one. I have a great friend with me today. His name is Jason Miller. He is the uh, proprietor of Miller's Military Moments, a wonderful podcast for the reminiscence of his life. So Jason, hi, tell me, where have you been? What are you doing? And how can we find you if we're looking for you? (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's great to be here. And yeah, if you want to come find me, the best place to find me is my website, which is millersmilitarymoments.com. And from there, you can listen to the the episodes. There's links to the YouTube channel there. And I'm also on Twitter under Jason Miller at Moments Miller and on Instagram, millersmilitarymoments.com. But the website has links to all of those things. And so, yeah, I've been last 20 years, I've been uh, traveling the world in the army and now I'm here Hi, with yeah, you. This is awesome. For me, this is like, um, this is, this is super sweet because if anybody knows me out there, I have that sweet little brother of mine, Benjamin Burton, who I love, who was in the military for years and he's just retiring as well. So I'm kind of feeling a little nostalgic about all this. So whenever I found Jason on, well, he, I think he found me on on Twitter, our conversation started out with greatness and we have so much to discuss about relationships when you're halfway around the world from your partner. So that's kind of how we got to meet each other was through Twitter thank goodness. And I really can't wait to, to get into this subject. Relationships are difficult enough, but when you throw in the fact that you really don't have control over your own uh, life at the moment, because the United States government does, that can make it a little bit tough. So Jason, let's start talking about, let's talk about your history and, and who you are and where you came from. How about that? Sure. All right. Um, so a little bit, you know, about my background. Before I joined the army, I actually was a high school English teacher what? for two years. No yeah. <laughs> I and I lived four blocks from the beach in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Oh nice. And I I left that um with my wife and drug her to Fort Hood, Texas, um, as our first duty station. So a little bit of interesting tidbit. But um yeah, so you know, that was prior to 9-11. It was in 2001, but prior to 9-11. And um, so our thoughts about deployments, potential deployments or, or being separated weren't on the top of our list whenever we both agreed to join the Army, because it's definitely a mutual agreement. Like you, if you're married, you don't, you don't go join the Army and then right. come home and tell your spouse, you know, hey, I joined the Army, we're leaving. So... Um, in basic training, uh, which was really my first time that I had been away from my wife and was, that was, it was tough even being away at that point. And then nine 11 happens. 
And then the the mood and the everything, the drill sergeants were, you're going to war, we're going to Afghanistan. It's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of how my army career started. And, um, you know, September, and then we, I go to school. And so we really spent from late July till March away from each other with a few visits kind of in between. Um, a couple of, you know, weekend things when I was in school, they could, you know, we could visit. And then we finally got to be together after, towards the end of March, when we moved to Texas in uh, 2002. I just wonder from her perspective, which eventually we'll have her on the show. We're going to talk her into that. Awesome. Um, <laughs> if I can't imagine, you know, how, how long were you guys married at when you ever you so started? Yeah. So at that point, we'd been married four years. Okay. So you're relatively new into this relationship, but you knew your wife from before. So you were familiar with her. Like you, you guys went to high school together. Did I remember you yes. saying that? Okay. Yep. We went to high school together, different colleges, yeah. but yeah. So you basically knew each other where you came from, that sort of thing. But four years into a marriage really isn't a whole heck of a lot. It is for some people, myself included, because, you know, I've been married a few times and we'll not go there, but moving on, (laughs) (laughs) trying to find, um, trying to learn how to be a a, a partner at that point in time at four years, you know, that's tough. And then for you to be away, oh, not to mention the fact, um, are you coming home? Right? Like that must be the thought that was going through her mind. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're marrying this guy, but you don't know he's going into the military. And then he goes in the military after you talk about it. And then you don't know, is he going to come home and be safe? So I can imagine that that would be a harrowing thing to have to experience for any military um, wife or husband or, you know, spouse, partner, whatever. So how did that discussion go when you told her you had to go overseas? How'd that go? Well, that was, that was tough. Um, You know, when we first got to Fort Hood, in, in uh, 2002, I actually, my first, out of my first eight weeks, I was gone for six weeks, right when we got to Fort Hood. It, it was really a crazy time. I went to the field for a week and then I had to go to California for training for a month. So our whole like welcome to the army was being separated almost. And then, and she was pregnant oh, at that time with, with our son. Yeah. So, and this just adds to all the challenges that you're talking about. Right. So put that in perspective. So we go through the summer, my son's born October of 2002. By this point, we realize we're probably going to Iraq soon. Yeah. And, you know, so we start gearing up in that. And so that's obviously the conversation start and it's tough. Yeah. Now, something that we thought or we didn't really know is we didn't know how long we were going to be gone at the time. Most army deployments at that point were six months. Mm -hmm. Many people think, ah, I can do six months. It's okay. Now under normal circumstances where people aren't shooting at you or trying to kill you, you know, it's probably, you know, not too bad, right? A little different circumstances. Besides that. So, but they would, they, the army would never say you're, you know, we're going to be gone this long, wouldn't commit to it. So, um, it definitely was very challenging and we, you know, kind of talked about, uh, we said, I love you a lot to each other. Like we didn't want to miss the chance to say that and just to let the other person know that no matter what happens, I mean, I'm thinking about you, I care about you and I just love you. And, so another challenge right before we left was I was in the, the division that was supposed to go through Turkey. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember this or some other people probably weren't paying too attention to the details. But <laughs> at the beginning of the Iraq invasion, um, 20,000 soldiers were supposed to go through Turkey and invade from the north. And then Turkey wouldn't let us. So we got delayed essentially a few weeks. So about six weeks, actually. So for six weeks, it was this is our last weekend home. Every weekend, it was like we thought we were leaving, yeah. And so you just you get you know mentally prepared, like you're going to leave, and then you don't, and you right. get to stay for another week, and then it's like, so it was almost like it, worse, like brutal, like just rip the bandaid off, let us go. Um, but so we were going into a situation where communication is snail mail only, yeah. 
letters four to six weeks old, boxes eight weeks old. Um, I'll call you when I can. Have no idea when that's going to be. Um, so, and yeah, I, I, I love you and I hope to see you soon. Like yeah. it's, it is a surreal feeling and, you know, you, you nailed it perfectly when, when you talked about, I mean, we were, we'd only been married four years at that point. When I look back now, so we've been married 23 and a half years now, and we are much better together today sure. than, you know, we were back then. Let's even put the army aside. We were two, I say young kids. I mean, we were mid twenties. Right. And, you know, the other people you've had on your show, you talk about the relationships and the communication, mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, we were both terrible at it. I, I'm hey, I'm a man, I'm <laughs> terrible at communication, I, you know, I got it. Um, a lot of it was definitely just my fault, but, but just learning all that, right? And then now, let's throw into, oh, let's go away for a year. And, you know, my wife and son, they don't know if I'm coming home. Mm-hmm. So... You know, yeah, it was it was really tough. I'm sure. I I know. I I I'm taking solace in the fact that you're you had a son on the way before you left. So that for me as a woman, if I were in that situation where your wife was, I would think that you know at least I have that. And watching how that interaction helped happened with my little brother and his wife at the time, and their sweet baby boy boys now, (laughs) but you know, that whole, um, that is such a, like for me, I almost think I would cry. I'm not going to allow myself to do that. But right now I feel like that's such an emotional time for a woman anyway. And you know, even from a male perspective, I can't imagine being that, you know, the protector, dad, husband having to leave and not knowing what's going to happen. You know, you can always, assume that things are going to be fine back home. But what if this, what if something happens? The whole what if is probably the worst. And just like you were saying, you had six weeks of what if we leave tomorrow? What if we leave tomorrow? What if we don't leave tomorrow? Holy shit. Can we just leave tomorrow? (laughs) Can we just get it over with? Uh, I can totally uh, empathize with that because it is such a scary thought because you don't know if you're coming back. You don't know what you're even getting into. I mean, you know the basis of your job, right? Like you were trained as sure. air, what were you, aircraft mechanic, correct? Yeah, Black Hawk helicopter mechanic, yep. Black Hawk helicopter mechanic, I like it. Um, that's so awesome. <laughs> but that's the thing, like you, you know how to do those things, but do you know how to do those things under fire? Have you ever had to? Wait, no. But no. no, but now you got to maybe you never know. And and that's the whole thing. And and I'm sure every war movie that you've ever seen your entire existence is playing through your mind. We're just like, shit, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And so how can you feel good inside? You know, saying goodbye to your partner at the time and say, you know, with any certain confidence that you will be back because maybe you won't be. I can't imagine what that is like because I've never had to be in those shoes. My ex-husband was um, not, he was army for sure, but there was no threat of war during the time that we were together. So Mm -hmm. it's a different kind of concept, right? Like, you know, it's a job just like me going to a hospital to work every day. You don't know if I'm going to have an accident on the way there or if somebody's going to murder me when I get there, who knows? Right. But, you know, like that's that's life and that's how we have to deal with it. Now, I think in the instance of the way our society rolls that men are suspo- are supposed to be that stronger person and the, you know, the docile female stays at home. Now, you were talking a little bit earlier, uh, you and I were, about how that works whenever you have a husband and wife in the military. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that works, if you if you don't mind? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so uh, really quick, I'll just say with our situation, sure. we, were, we were very lucky mm-hmm. in the fact that when I did deploy, that my wife was able to stay home um, with our son. So he was five months old when I left. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just were lucky that she had the opportunity to do that. Right. And, and she was actually at home with him th- until he went to school. Awesome. So um, at fire, so it just worked out that way. Right. But 
Yes. So we call it dual military. Mm -hmm. And when a husband and wife or, you know, husband and husband, whatever the case is, are both in the military. Mm -hmm. And it's so I've been around several of them and several of those couples and families and they have kids. And, you know, sometimes they don't even live at the same duty station together. They will be separated because the army just can't uh, put them there if they're if their job, if there's not a slot for their job there. Um, the army will try their best to put them together. Um, in particular, uh, the army won't necessarily make, let's assume they do live together Mm -hmm. and their, their family's there and they're, they're in the same unit even, and they're going to, their unit's going to deploy. If they're both supposed to deploy, they both will go. Uh So we have, uh, policies and regulations in place that say, you know, you have to have what's called a family care plan. Mm -hmm. So a predetermined plan that if you both leave, who's going to take care of your children and they have access to the money and all that stuff. And so, um, it could be grandparent. It could be whoever you designate, but, um, it's tough. I mean, that's now both parents are leaving, you know, that child or children and you don't know when they're going to come back. And so that is really tough. And then another extreme situation that I saw was we were, uh, a person in our unit, um, it was the the husband and then the, his wife was in a different unit. They were actually on one year opposite deployment schedules. He was gone for a year. She was at home. And then when he came home, she left for a year. Um, now, okay, it seems to be okay for the kids, but I mean, what about them right. and their relationship and then communication? And uh, it was just... It, that one did not end well. Um, I, I can't imagine. I mean, you have to foster relationships and that, and you know, you have to think if I'm going to be gone for a year, I would want my child to stay with its other parent if it could, you know, I totally would. Yeah. And it makes sense in that way, but how tough on a relationship can that totally be? So what do you think for you personally, what was mm-hmm. the hardest challenge when it comes to that five minute phone call that you might be able to get from, you know, and you're standing there with how many other people waiting for a phone to how, how does that work? So, okay, well, I'll tell you. So the first instance, the first chance I got to call was in Kuwait before we invaded Iraq, there was a, an army uh, satellite phone set up and yeah, there was a line of a hundred people right. and it took six hours to get through it. And then, the delay was so bad. It's probably almost a 10 second delay. So you almost end up talking over each other. So the end result was, I'm just going to say, I love you and I miss you. And I'll talk to you again uh, soon. Um, and then, right. I, tears. Hey, oh, for I, sure. Not, you know, absolutely. Um, and there's just, you know, other people waiting. So it's just, so, and then, cause I'm, I decided to sit in that line when I was leaving the next day to head to Iraq. Okay. So I was like, just going to do it. Um, the, uh, speaking of, you know, the next five minute call was, and not knowing if something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did a show on this a couple weeks ago on my first call from Iraq because something was wrong with my son. Um, okay. So I left before the rest of the unit did. Mm-hmm. And I left, went up there and was there for about a week and then everybody else came. So somebody else talked to their wife had, who had known my wife. Anyway, something was wrong with my son potentially. So they weren't, the command told them not to tell me because there's nothing I could do about it yet until we find out for sure. He came and told me anyway. So now the command's right. So of course I'm worried. Like, I mean, this was potentially stuff with his brain. Right. And so they had to do some tests. And so it's like, well, there were some civilian contractors that work with us, even that early on in the war, especially in aviation. Um, They have cell, they have satellite phones issued by their companies. Okay. So my command worked out a deal. Hey man, can this guy call? So anyway, I had a chance to call for the yeah, 10 minutes. Um, and then, uh, basically everything ended up being fine. And, but yeah, that 10 minutes was again, a lot of, Oh, thank God he's fine. Right. I, you know, how you are you? Know. I'm okay. Right. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Like I miss you so much. Like it's so that emotion there is, um, it's just incredible. And then not knowing when the next time you're going to get to talk again. Mm-hmm. So you just don't want to hang up and, you know, but you have to, so yeah, it's tough. It is, it is really hard, you know, dealing with that. And for the, like maybe the first, so we had no phones, you know, for at least for two months. And then they, they, 
um, our commanding general actually was pretty cool and um, was a big soldier's general. He confiscated sort of all these satellite phones from the civilians mm-hmm. and passed them out to the units. So, like, I think every two weeks we got maybe a 10-minute call. Nice. Um, That's awesome. But, yeah. So, That's- until about six months in, yeah, I got we got – we got a little bit of internet, stuff like that. Right. I can remember buying prepaid phone cards for my little brother. <laughs> yes. I don't think yeah. I bought, I, I can't imagine what you would think that somebody would be buying 17 cases of baby wipes and some prepaid, prepaid phone cards. That was me every time I would yeah. go. <laughs> because, you know, so, they got to send baby wipes. It's hot over there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that deployment yeah. um, that he and I both were in 2003, mm-hmm. Um, in Iraq was, you know, there's, there's no power, there's no water, there's no anything. We're establishing all that. And so, you know, there's when your, your, your bathroom facilities, um, aren't the best and, um, you know, so yeah, baby wipes were like, gold. <laughs> I mean, they were like gold. And so absolutely. My wife was the same and my friends and family, yeah. same thing. It's like, what do you, what do you need? What, what do you, you want? And it's like baby wipes. Uh, Mountain Dew, uh, cigarettes, <laughs> right? You know. Cigarettes and little Debbie cakes. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I feel you. I feel you. So let me like, I, okay, let's go for the rules of the boxes that you send and in, in, in relationship with your significant other, what things are you not allowed to bring into a country like Afghanistan that a lot of people think that you know, a lot of people think you got playboys hanging out everywhere and that sort of thing. Let's talk to them about that. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. So, yeah, no porn. None. Whatsoever. And really, like, Maxim. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's around anymore, but it was in the early 2000s. Yeah, gotcha. Like, it, it's it, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. It Because it shows enough that it's it's disrespectful to their their country, their customs. So no, you can't have any of that anywhere. Now, early on, we didn't have any of our, the locals in our work areas, but, and of course we put a bunch of pictures up because we got some maxims and stuff like that. (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't even a few months in though. And we were having to take it down, you know? So yeah, you can't, right. You can't have that stuff. So you've got to be, um, you've got to be careful on, you know, what you ask your spouse to send you and you can, you can get away with with some stuff, and right. they're you know depending on um, <laughs> depending on how adventurous your spouse wants to be right. and what it is that you want, and you know can send you something. So what maybe came in your box bo- from your wife? If you want, maybe to tell. some. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, definitely um, some pictures, yeah. um, some personal pictures, and some uh, lingerie that she may have worn. Yeah, and you know, it's so that's. You talk about then the relationships, the connection yeah. um, with people, and so that is one of those things. The like having the, their smell, oh, I'm sure, and just like, oh my god, like it's so, it's oh, visceral, she's right? right? She's, it's visceral. Yes, it's absolutely, yes. so, it's right to you. Yeah, so, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really, you know, it, it, it was a running joke for us, you know, because it's my little brother. It's not like. You know, I, I didn't have a significant other over there. So for me, it's a little, (laughs) it's a different kind of thing. (laughs) But, um, my mom of all people would always be like, throw him a playboy magazine in there so you can. And I would be like, ugh, what? No, gross. No, it's new. He doesn't do that. Um, yeah, well, he probably did, but I don't want to know about it. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So with that, so you get those boxes and I'm sure you're in a, a barracks type situation. Like it's not like you have personal places to go, right? Right. Like, so in 2003, we lived in a tent right. with 10 other people. Right. Right. Um, absolutely. Like you, you have your, I don't even know your cot and your little bitty space, but there are no walls. There are nothing. It is just 10 cots in there and you're all just right. You that's. Mm-hmm. And it's only 10,000 degrees because it is the desert. So it's not like 
<laughs> anything that you do or move on a cot, probably too. So what I'm trying to get at in the nice, sweet way that I'm trying to, how, once you get that smell of your partner, like that visceral feeling, I know yeah. that the thought is like, holy shit goes straight to your, your, your cock, your oh, whatever. Yeah. Right. Sorry Absolutely. for using that. If it's offensive to anybody out there, but like I, what the purpose of this show is today is, is how it is that people have done this for hundreds and thousands of years. I mean, men have been going off to war for thousands of years and yeah. it's how we, um, this is, is, is an information that I want to get out to people. And, and I'm not asking you to talk about your masturbation by any means whatsoever, but <laughs> how do you get private time to yourself yeah. somewhere? Because it really like, orgasm is a natural relaxant point blank. That's a fact. So to get private time when you're in a room full of dudes all day long, and, and this works for females as well. Like if you're in a, like in a, a tent barracks situation and there's all these people around you and there's all these, for, I can't help but think that there's so much snoring going on and, you know, bodily things going on with guys and, and girls too, you know, it just happens. But right. How do you take that and make it your own, your own little space? Yeah, so, how does that work? yeah, the best way to do it, and, and this is how a lot of people did it, was it, it, you get inside your sleeping bag, uh -huh. and it, when it's cooler, obviously. So the first few months, I worked, I worked at night, so uh -huh. I was trying to sleep during the day, yeah. and it's like a hundred degrees, oh, and, sure. and my cot. So, um, but you try to get in your your sleeping bag. And then, you know, have some time to yourself. Um, you know, other people may, may know or hear and just like, they may rib you a little bit, you know, later, but it's like, I don't even care. Right. Um, the other, the other places, um, obviously in the, um, porta potties. Oh yeah. Um, I know it's not, it, it's, it, so that's the private time, right? You can close right. the door. Right. So like the first month or so we didn't even have that. Right. So when you did get those and we, you could go somewhere to close the door. That was kind of, um, that was for the most part. Yeah. That's where you get your little bit of private time. And you know, that, that seems, I, I can't imagine how that would feel. And I'm glad I don't have to be in those shoes <laughs> at all because, you know, in Tantra, we teach how to make um, your date with yourself a ritual, a way mm -hmm. for you to really, truly relax. And you are here in another country getting ready to basically go to war, or at least you're being told that's, you know, we're, we're mm -hmm. right there about to go into World War Three any day now. You've got all that stress on your mind. There are no other private ways that you can be with yourself other than that snake up inside of a sleeping bag or a dirty, gross military guy porta potty. Um, in some ways, that hurts my heart so bad. And it's, you know, in, in the thoughts of your partner back home must make you even in, you know, like because as, as a female, all I'm going to think of is, is he okay? What is he doing? And that always question in the back of your mind, is he with somebody else? Right? Because we know statistically that infidelities do happen in the military, just like they do in every corner of the world and every job that there is, there's infidelities that go on when people leave the home and meet other people. So tell me an experience that you saw with maybe one of your, um, compatriots that you really felt bad for them um you mean like because of infidelity yeah. or yeah. yeah so a couple different i mean i have several stories but so i will say that after 2003 into four the living conditions got a little bit better and so they were a little bit more of a housing situation kind of a um we call them choose mm -hmm. but they're like a 20-foot trailer uh-huh um, and you know, a couple of people live there anyway, so you could have a little bit more private time gotcha. later on. So it did get a little bit better for that. Um, and then later on, you could get a little bit of internet maybe in your room and oh. there's some communication happening, uh, back home. So that did help. But so 2003, I, you know, so there's some, somebody we call Jody. <laughs> okay. Have you ever heard of Jody? Um, uh, maybe. 
Okay, Jody takes care of our spouses back home for mm-hmm. us while we're away. Right. And anyway, that's the the stereotype name, and and um, so in one particular case, this young soldier, um, you know, married this this girl and gave her the all the account numbers and uh-huh. in the house and everything. And after like six months, she stopped responding to to uh, letters, yeah. to any kind of communication. Mm-hmm. And so there was some, you know, uh, basically, hey, can we get some assistance from somebody in the family readiness group to maybe check on her, right? Mm-hmm. Health and welfare check, see how yeah. she's doing. Gotcha. Uh, drained his bank accounts, uh, changed the locks on the house, um, was already shacking up with another guy in the house that he was paying rent for. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that's who, that's uh, that's a Jody right yeah. there. That's who we call Jody. Gotcha. And, um so that that happened, and so they obviously got divorced when he got home, and um, you know that was already like his third marriage, I think, at that point. But you know, uh, definitely. And so another instance while we were over there, mm-hmm. uh, this this young soldier who had a beautiful wife and two kids back home, he somehow found some private time with uh, another female soldier, gotcha. <laughs> and um, actually got her pregnant, and then that's how they got caught because she couldn't be in theater. She had to go. Sure. Um, so um, he had to he had to call his wife and uh, tell her. Uh, the commander made him tell her oh, over I'm the sure. phone. And um, so yeah, they tried to work it out a little bit. I think when they when we got home, but they ended up in divorce too. Unfortunate. Um, yeah. I, I can't imagine that being in a stereotypical husband, wife, or, you know, husband, husband, wife, wife, whatever relationship and being so far away and not knowing, you know, it's just, um, it's just one of those things because your mind plays tricks on you, right? It does. You're, it you're does. not around in, in, just like you were saying, I've heard so many stories, just like the one you were just talking about. And you have that, you know, like how many times did you sit there and think, well, I'm over here in the desert. I might die. My wife's probably with the Jody back home. Holy shit. What am I supposed to think? And then you really do lose control of how your feelings are after that until you get to talk to them again. And then you mm-hmm. get that burst of dopamine. But you're like almost jonesing, like and like it's an addiction for you to be able to talk to them because you are so clinging to that that need to feel wanted and loved and and cared for. You're definitely not getting from your drill sergeant, are you? <laughs> no, not a thing, not a thing. So what? So you got lingerie? I heard that. If you were talking to a younger enlisted man right now or enlisted person, mm-hmm. what would you say to them before they got deployed somewhere? What are some of the, you know, the things that you could advise them of that they could take with them and be, you know, a little more successful in a relationship apart? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely look, take the pictures with you. Um, take some items that are, uh, that connect you two together um, uh, with you. And then, you know, d- talk about the, any trust issues mm-hmm. before you leave, talk about it. Like just say, Hey, you know, do you think after six months of me not being here, are you going to invite Jody over or allow Jody to kind of, you know, sneak into your life? I know you're going to be six months without me. So, and it's, it's okay to have that conversation. You're not doubting their, um, their loyalty to you. And you're not assuming they're going to be, you know, they're going to cheat on you. Um, but it's okay to have that conversation because just like you said, both sides, really, you're going to have those thoughts in your head and they're going to play tricks on your mind. And so that could help, you know, having that person just reassure you, um, that look, I'm going to be focused on this, And then, you know, when I do need to have that release or, you know, this is what I'm going to do and I will write to you about it and I will, maybe you could have something like that you want to do that so that you're still sharing that with each other. So, you know, if you're writing letters or, you know, if you do an email, you know, or maybe on the phone now, it was a kind of a phone bank situation. So I don't know, you know how, but (laughs) 
That is what I would tell them. Right. That have that conversation and be, you know, really comfortable with each other so that you can talk about that and then write it down in letters so that you're still sharing that intimacy so that it really uh, confirms to each other that you're still still there with each other. That's so awesome. You know, I was just kind of thinking about how, you know, most jobs you, you go to work, you come home from. That's a job you don't go to work and come home from for months and months at a time, right? Yeah. And how in the world do you prepare yourself mentally for just that instance in itself? But then you have to add in human nature to this. You, the the military is responsible for making sure that you eat, that you have a place to stay, that you are protected in a way because it's that's mm-hmm. their job to do for you. Just like any other job, like you go to work, you have it's their job to provide you with a desk and, and a computer to work on or whatever it is, the technical things that you need for that job. Yeah. But in this instance, it's a it's a human need more so than anything that really, I, I'm sure the military does make concessions. It, it allows you to go places and, and, and take, you know, your, your little R&R breaks and that sort of thing. And I say little R&R breaks. Didn't that sound cute? <laughs> like it, you so, get some yeah. respite away from the field. So we did get like, you could take like a three day or a four day break mm-hmm. that first year in Iraq. And then we had, then we did get two weeks of leave um, towards the end of that first year. And then the second deployment, if you deployed for 12 months, then you did get two weeks to go home in the middle. Um, and then, but after that, my second deployments, my, or my last two, we were only nine month deployments and you couldn't go home. So no R and R, no four day weekends. No, nothing. (laughs) Sorry about your luck. That's it. Jason. get to work. No, (laughs) that's the way it goes. And, you know, I can't imagine that again, for thousands of years, men have been leaving and going to war now with the, um, with the more progressive world that we live in, females are leaving to go as well. And not everybody is a partnered person, you know, like you have single moms, you have single dads, that's a thing. So in that instance, when you have all of these different groups of people that you're you're thinking of the challenges of, of how to be more human in a pretty inhumane situation because you're going to war to kill people. That's basically it, right? Like it's good guys versus bad guys. It just depends on Mm -hmm. whose side you're on to what name you have. Yeah. So I, I wonder, have you seen a change in the time that you've been in since you're getting ready to retire? Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Um, Have you seen a change in what you saw from basic training until 2021? What have you noticed? In the realm of the, the human experience between people. Um, so I, I think that we were definitely, well, I don't want to say, I was thinking, you know, early on, we were definitely more rigid, um, very much um, straight, narrow, kind of like, now look, people did do things. And, you know, sneak away and get their, their human interaction. Um, but I think it was, there were more specific rules that said nobody can do it. Now, if you were married, Mm -hmm. you could do your thing. And we did have a soldier that was married and his wife was deployed at another location. And she actually came over to the camp and spent a couple of days and we, we made a little small tent set up for them and they did their thing. And, um, we were all of course jealous, but you know, of course. do what you got to do. Right. <laughs> so we were happy for him, but right. I gotcha. So, so what I, I, I really, so yeah. So as up to today, I think the biggest changes is almost more human, more compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those rules are a little bit lessened. So as, as far as like, look, if you're married, no, you, you, you keep your physical distance away from <laughs> right. someone else. But if you are single, it's, it's kind of whatever, as long as you're not, you know, creating uh, bad order and discipline. Gotcha. <laughs> so um, you're not causing problems for the other unit. You're not, you know, 
not doing your job, then it's kind of like, hey, take care of your business. But um, for the most part, yeah, I think that's the biggest change is we're a little bit more kind of compassionate and treat you like humans as long as you're doing your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in aviation, we, um, I don't know, pretty technical and we're pretty busy too. That's the other thing. Like every deployment is really like busy. So you're, you're tired. Right. You know, so, you know, I know you've talked about that on your, your show's previous, uh-huh. you know, when you, I mean, any kind of relationship, like, and especially if it's a new relationship and you're in that stressful situation and you're tired, it's kind of hard to oh, foster yeah. it. And so sometimes, you know, they, uh, heat of the moment, it's just a pure physical release thing. But yeah, I think that's the biggest change really is just a little bit more, uh, treating us with more compassion. Yeah. And I think that's needed. Uh, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say that I believe that people are less strong than they used to be, but I think we're more cognizant of the need to not compress and, and kind of hide everything like we used to. And I think it, it lends to a more healthy situation in a relationship. If you can have that communication, just like we talk about constantly, if you don't know how to talk to somebody about a subject, you better figure it out. <laughs> you know, yeah. Figure it out. Work on it. Yeah. Get after it. Because the only person that gets hurt in these situations are the people who aren't saying how they feel. You know, mm-hmm. it's sad to think that we have been taught our lives to be kind to people and not hurt their feelings. But if I were in the situation that I thought that I I'd met somebody and my spouse is overseas or, you know, away for whatever TDY, whatever you need to do. Um, you, that thought is, is I should probably pump the brakes a little and I need to talk to that significant other because maybe they're feeling the same way while they're gone as well. And there's no shame in ending a relationship on a good note. You know, and and not to say to that this is an, an end to relationship, but this is just another scenario in that in in the fact that I also know some military friends of mine that are in open relationships. Now that works for some people, but you have to have the communication there to do oh. so, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's a big it's, yeah. it's a big change for people. Yes, it's it's difficult. What's your thoughts on that? Have you seen that? I don't think I have seen any open relationships. Um, And I think because it's really um, taboo. Gotcha. Um, You know, the military is still pretty uh, strict socially. So, I mean, we have, you know, opened up some doors. But um, so the other thing that we've really been conditioned to in the military, and especially I think on the whoever is staying at home, is you don't want to give bad news to the person that's downrange. Right. So listen, your in your, you know, scenario, like if you found somebody, you know, they've been kind of conditioned. Don't tell your spouse till they come home because they'll get upset. They can't perform their job. You know, you know, people could get hurt. I mean, so, so that's also another challenge. Um, you know, they could be playing this fake game until you get home. Oh, surprise. Jody lives here. Um, <laughs> You know, so it, it as much as maybe you would want to communicate, which normally would be the right thing to do, this is such an abnormal situation right. and you've got a spouse down there and you just don't want to, you know, upset them and, and try to, you know, so that's tough. And then, you know, when you talk about the, the communication of uh, being able to talk about different subjects, so when you come home. I mean, it's, there's, and we compartmentalize things and, you know, so when we're gone, I'll tell you from personal experience. Um, so a lot of times, like, that's what I'll do. I'll just, I will, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and just, I mean, I just go right out, you know, work, do my job, you know, work really hard, do what I've got to do, keep myself busy, you know, and focus on that until I can think about my, my spouse and family. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. So we're moving from that part of tough over to my thoughts on, well, and your thoughts as well on the PTSD aspect of coming home and talking with your partner. Now, you don't have to give up any kind of <laughs> extra special anything for me, even though I know you want to. Um, <laughs> 
But, and I'm making light of this just because I know this is a very difficult situation for people to talk about. Um, we all have our own, you know, post-traumatic stress. We all do. Our brain can disconnect just like that based on our brain's in, inability to handle the situation that we're going through. And I have, I, I have encountered several um, military friends in, in my past that I really don't even, I, I don't know that I, I, don't, I can't help them like I would like to, because I feel like when they're telling me this story about, you know, this tragic incident or that tragic incident, I don't know what that's like. I can't step into those boots. Talk to me about how readily you were to talk to your spouse about issues that happened to you that may make you feel a little more sensitive or maybe made you feel like maybe you shouldn't talk about it. Well, uh, my story is rather simple. I didn't. Yeah. Um, and I'll <laughs> elaborate on that, but so um, I, compartmentalized it. And when I came home, um, I pushed it all away. Um, we definitely jumped into the honeymoon period, yeah. you know, welcome home. It's great. And very rarely would I talk about any of the, the sad or disturbing incidences. Um, and so for me, I am diagnosed, uh, officially with chronic PTSD, mm -hmm. um, major level depression, uh, anxiety and all related to, you know, my time in service and, and, and certain events, but the, the not, so it's interesting to me, but it's, it's really, there's a lot more people like me than there aren't. Right. Meaning that mine isn't a one event that was like a particular firefight where people died or, you know, some crazy situations like that. It was cumulative stressful and tragic events that just kept piling up. And I did what I just told you I did when I got home the first time, I would just compartmentalize it, push it all away, yeah. push it all away until finally, you know, it's like all the little penguins on the iceberg. I mean, you can only put so many on there mm -hmm. and then they're going to start falling off, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, gotcha. I just, I saw too, too much tragedy and I did not share it with my family. Um, I kept it all in. And so the last two years, um, I have been through a lot of therapy um, and have grown with my family um, so much more because, I, well, two years ago, we were at a low, to be honest with you, and we've grown from there. And it's really all stems from my inability to communicate, mm -hmm. um, my inability to feel um, to, you know, to talk and, and just, I held it all in. So I had to work on myself and then figure out those things. And before I could start sharing some of these stories and I still at the, the guidance of my, um, counselors and therapists, you know, I said, you don't have to tell them all the details and, you know, you don't have to share everything. Civilians don't understand a lot of that stuff. So it's okay to, to not, give all of the details. Like you can just tell them generally the story. And so that's what we did. And I started to share things with them. Well, obviously it helped, right. you know, when we talk about communication yeah. and so they, because now they can understand why I was so upset or, you know, why I'm so irritable and then why I would get so sad at certain times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they would, cause often they would feel like they just didn't know what to do. Right. That's like, it. I mean, here I am on the couch drinking myself to whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm over there crying and they just don't, I mean, what are they, you know, they don't know what to do. So, um, it, it's tough. And then once we started working through that and I started, first of all, admitting that these things were there mm -hmm. and working through, um, the tragic events and, you know, the power that they had over me, I started to gain that power back. And I started to be able to share it with, you know, my family. And then, you know, it's kind of like the light bulb. They're like, oh, okay. Then we get it. Right. Like, you know, right. and I, you know, regretfully, like I took a lot of my anger out on them. Mm -hmm. You know, we do that sometimes to the people we love, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, I mean, I feel terrible about it and I apologize so much. Um, but there's just in your mind, there's so many things you just, that are going on. It's hard to control all those emotions. And, um, so it, yeah, it, it's tough. So I didn't, I didn't share anything for probably 18 years Yeah. and then finally started to, you know, share and, um, it has, you know, helped us <laughs> tremendously. Blossomed that relationship, huh? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's has. important. You know, I think it's very difficult for people to understand what we're feeling. And we sometimes believe that we are the only people that this is happening to. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is it, when you have a partner, even if it's not a, a, a sexual relationship partner, not a, not a spouse or whatever, but a partner, somebody who you consider as your go-to to talk to when you mm-hmm. don't have the feeling that they can relate or that they don't know you sought out some help, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you sought it out because you recognized that you couldn't do it on your own, which kudos to you for that. Cause that's flipping. That's hard. That is really hard. I have a friend who I desperately wish could, could be a little bit better with that, but he has such trouble and it hurts me in my heart and we're not married, but I feel like I need him. Like I want people to feel loved all the time. That's one of the things why I do the podcast is because I want this dissemination of information to hit as many people as it possibly can, because there are resources out there for people and we, you just have to find them and you, and maybe just a a little clue here and there from a little show might help you. But I really think that you, you know, admitting that you're sorry, it's not necessarily just your fault. It's our societal norms. You know, I dare say the patriarchy because (laughs) I'm not going to even go there. I'm not going to go there. But as, as humans, regardless, we need to feel heard. We need to feel loved. There are so many things in that Maslow's hierarchy of, of things that we need and have to have in our life. And I am so glad that you have the ability to do the show that you do, Miller's Military Moments, by the way. If you haven't heard it, listen to it. It's pretty awesome. You have this platform now to help other people who were in similar spots that you were. And, you know, good on you. It has to be good karma for you, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It's... um. I, I was so since I started my show, yeah. uh, a lot of my friends, you know, text me and, and give me feedback and they, you know, man, this is so awesome. Um, we love hearing the stories and, yeah. and especially the ones that I was like with, they're like, Oh, I forgot about that. Or I remember sure. that. And so here's, here's the thing. I'm not sure, you know, who's more important I'm doing this for them or myself. Um, so <laughs> there's a little bit of selfishness in there and good selfishness yeah. in a way. Um, you know, it, it really is, uh, I started to write a book by the way, and then I, I was convinced to do the podcast yeah. to tell my story. The book will come later. It's okay. Yeah. So it's, I, I couldn't figure out the dialogue in the book yeah. or the emotion or the facial expressions or, so that's why, you know, Hey, the podcast and then the video, like, yeah. you know, you can see, you know, and hear me telling about those moments. So, um, it, it is, it's been great for me for sure too. And then, um, it's, it's nice to, you know, hear the feedback from them and when they're saying, Oh, this is great. I'm really glad you're doing this. And then, you know, when I do talk about the, uh, the PTSD and, you know, how I've dealt with it, um, I'm like you and your message to, to your audience. It's if I can help somebody, you know, learn something from my story to be a little bit better because I had suicidal thoughts in 2014. Um, and you know, part of how I came, you know, got over it, not got over it, but it was really what you talked about. You know, my family made me feel valued, Mm -hmm. um, that I was important. And those inner, inner three to five people to me are the ones that ultimately, you know, a therapist can say what they want and they can help me and they can push some drugs on me. But it, it was those people that, because that's essentially what I was, I was feeling that my life was no longer valuable. Mm-hmm. And so they made sure to make me feel like that. So that is one of the things I really stress to people. 
in those situations, it's not them to reach out. It's those inner three to five people to reach to them. Mm -hmm. So look, let them know that their life is valuable and, and tell them and show them in in specific ways so that they can see it. Cause when we're down in that dark hole like that, we don't see any light. I mean, there is no light down there. So you've got to bring that to us. So Anyway, yeah, it's um, it's definitely been um, a great experience so far to do that to be able to share, you know, some of the stuff. And I hope, you know, I help one person. I think. Well, you helped me the heck of a lot. I'll tell you that right now. By the way, guys, Jason's my new little brother too. Um, we're gonna be best friends now, just because I have. We are. Yeah, for sure. I have so many much more things that I want to talk about that on our next episode we are definitely gonna talk about. But for right now. We're going to wrap up a little. I want you to tell me what was the one thing that you missed about your wife the most while you were gone? Um, it, it's her hugs. Oh, you like some hugs. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the, the, I mean, it's the physical contact yeah. and, and the, you know, the closeness, um, the arms around each other. It's, it's, you know, so I'm almost six foot tall. She's five, seven, uh-huh. you know, it's a little bit shorter and just, she just, she fits, you know, kind of like right in here. I absolutely and know how that fits. Yes. It I just, do. Yeah. So we, we do, <laughs> this is another little, uh, funny thing. Yeah. We call it, you know, our morning dances uh-huh. and sometimes I get up first. Sometimes she gets up first. Anyway, we, you know, when we meet downstairs and we give our morning hugs and we, you know, mm-hmm. just <laughs> kind of dance. Best. So, so yes, that, that was, that was the one, I, I, the one thing I really, really missed was the hugs. Yeah. That's awesome. That makes me almost tear up. Look, I've been trying to not <laughs> no, get emotional no. through this whole thing. I've done really well today. Um, <laughs> I'm going to brag on myself today. I'm doing really well, Jason. It has been a pleasure. It's a privilege to have met you. I think the world of you, and I've only known you for a little bit, so I can't wait to see us in a couple of years down the road, helping more people to be able to communicate their feelings in whatever way we need to. I think it's going to be great. And the next time we're going to talk about more, you know, more stuff regarding sexuality in okay. the military, it's going to be great for you guys who are out there listening right now. So Jason, one more time, can you let people know where they can find you? Yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me again. Sure. It, it has been, uh, it's amazing uh, meeting you too. And, and uh, I'm excited about what's to come in, in the future. And we're going to, we're going to do some amazing things for people out there. I really do believe that. Most so, definitely. but Hey, you can find me at Miller's military moments.com. That's the best place to find me. And there's all the links to all of my different places. And it's got the intro and the podcast and the YouTube channel that you can go and watch the videos. And if you haven't seen one, I love to talk with my hands. So, and I have really, to do with his hands. I have no idea. <laughs> so check out the YouTube videos and you know, you can see my facial expressions and me talking about my hands. So yeah. For but thank sure. you. And for all those people out there that aren't watching that are listening, I am a regular Madonna Vogue model with my hands. <laughs> Fact. But also guys, you can find me again at buriedpleasures.com. You can find the podcast on there. You can go to any of the major podcasting platforms. I am on Facebook and Instagram as Pleasure Pathways and on Twitter as Buried Pleasures. Please search me out. Find me. I would love to talk to more about love and the things that go with it. So, and we are a part of the Just Some Podcast Media Group. That includes my show, Berry Pleasures, and also Just Some Podcast for Advanced Practitioners and the lovely and talented Nurse Papa. So please give a listen. That's my shout out for them. You guys have a blessed and wonderful day, and we will see you soon. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. See y'all soon. When it rains, it pours. Water's up to my chin.
hope you find 